Hello and welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside Numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thank you for spending time with me today. I know there are a lot of choices out there. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram, both at CubsPSPlus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS+. Please take 10 seconds and drop a rating or review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you find your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you so much. Maybe share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds will help me get better and help others find the show. I'd love to know what you want to know about Cubs baseball. Welcome to episode 17. In this episode, I had the pleasure of talking Cubs prospects with Greg Huss from Northside Bound and the Cubs on Deck podcast. Greg and I talked about this week's Rule 5 roster decisions, highlighted a few key guys in his newly released Top 40 Prospects list, and talked about what fans can do to get a read on prospects when watching minor league games or looking at stats. In the end, I put Greg on the spot for some best of categories in the Cubs system. I had a lot of fun hanging out with Greg, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here. We. Go. So this week, I want to welcome in Greg Huss from Northside Bound and his new podcast, Cubs on Deck. Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to be here. Excited to chat with you. Great. So I think we're going to hit a lot of topics today. I think a lot of things that hopefully some new information for the people that listen to this but especially I want them to get some takeaways on what can they do on their own? How can they look at the minor league system and the numbers? But to jump into it, we'll go with the obvious news. You know, Tuesday, the Cubs protected Brennan Davis. Uh, they protected Kevin Alcantara. They protected Ben Brown and Ryan Jensen. I don't think there were any big surprises there. Um, but what stood out to you about those four guys in particular? I, I think that with the the first three guys you mentioned with with – Brennan Davis and Alcantara and Ben Brown, those kind of seem like no no doubters. Um, I really like that they have that the Cubs front office has faith in what Ryan Jensen is. Um, I think that it really goes. I mean, he kind of has the 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 prestige on his, on his side, right, with being a, a former first round draft pick. But you saw this past year with Ryan Jensen, where they were really tinkering with his with his mechanics. They were really tinkering with his offerings, that it, his pitch mix. Mm-hmm. And so I think that they have a whole lot of faith in him. Adding him to the forty man roster, it, it puts faith in in a prospect. And as a player, you got to feel really good about that. You know, um, there are a few guys that did not get protected. That I'm, I'm fingers crossed. I look at it kind of weird, right? Like fingers crossed, the Cubs don't lose him in the Rule Five draft. But at the same time, like as a guy who's followed this. The, the prospects coming up through the system for years, I'm kind of like you, you kind of can like, like root for these guys to be drafted in the rule five draft. Cause that means their major league dream mm-hmm. is starting to come true. You know what I mean? So um, the Cubs fan in me doesn't want to lose them, but the, the prospect fan in me is saying like, congratulations sure. to those guys, you know? Well, and going to those who were not protected, the ones that kind of stood out to me that I thought were probably maybe next in, if they had more spots were um, Luis Devers, Cam Sanders, Darius Hill. I know you talked a lot about Chase Strumpf. I mean, who surprised you or who, who are you maybe particularly worried about the Cubs losing in the Rule 5? Yeah, I think that the other guy that I was kind of in that Ryan Jensen mix was actually Riley Thompson for me. I know that he's a little okay. bit older of a prospect, but the the vibe feels very similar to what we're talking about with Ryan Jensen, where, I mean, he he's a, he's a, can be a, a guy that runs the fastball way up there, has some really good off-speed offerings. With Riley Thompson, he just hasn't been healthy for an, enough time to, to get his kind of feet mm-hmm. underneath him. But this past season, we really saw, like, if you take out just a, a couple of his worst outings on the mound, Riley Thompson's in double-A this year, he really had a really strong season, especially as the season kind of wore on, too. So, uh, Riley Thompson was a guy that I, I kind of thought that there might be a chance he got added. Cam Sanders, to me, feels like a dude. And I said this on on my podcast with uh, Brian Smith. Cam Sanders just feels like a dude that the Cubs were not going to protect. And it feels mm-hmm. inevitable that he will be selected in the Rule 5 draft. And there's just some guys, like some some years, there's just a guy that kind of fits that mold, right? Where he... he he just is not going to be protected, but he feels so risky because he's going to be selected. And uh, I've made the joke. I made the joke on, I, I think on CHGO and, and uh, um, made a comment on Twitter too. It just, it feels like 
the Rule 5 draft is just one huge exercise of who should we protect because if we don't, the Tampa Bay Rays are going to select him and turn him into a stud. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like yes. the, the Rays yep. do that type of type of thing. And uh, I think that's the exercise you got to go in because when you're protecting guys from the Rule 5 draft, that's the whole idea, right, is you're not necessarily rewarding a guy from ha- for having a terrific minor league season the year before. Right? It, we would see Luis Devers definitely at it if that was the case. What you're trying to the exercise is really trying to identify a player that another team might select and keep on their major league roster the entire year in 2023. And so I think a guy like Cam Sanders is somebody that a team can keep on their major league roster all year long because the stuff is so good, you know? So mm-hmm. um, it's just, it, it's kind of changing your mindset and kind of understanding that, that exercise that a team is doing a front of a front office is doing. So th- that's the big difference then between like a Cam Sanders and the Devers. He's far enough from the bigs. It's a gamble to use one of your 13 pitcher spots for an entire season. Yeah, and I'll say too, like like you, you mentioned Darius Hill, right? And Darius Hill versus mm-hmm. um, a guy a guy like Luis Devers is a good example, right? Where Luis Devers is was probably more likely to be uh, Luis Devers is a is a higher rated prospect than Darius Hill, but I think Darius Hill was way more likely to be selected is way more likely to be selected in the Rule Five Draft. Because he can carve out a role on a on a big league team right now, you know, like Darius Hill is a fifth outfielder for a major league team. Um, fifth outfielders on, are not exactly the most valuable positions on uh, on a roster, but I think that Darius mm-hmm. Hill could fill that need. Versus Luis Devers, in the long run, could be a number four starter, and that brings a lot more value than a than a fifth outfielder, you know. And sure. so it's just it's a it's a curious case. The Rule Five draft is just an interesting case, you know. And I think this will be an interesting one, too, because there wasn't one last year. So I think every team has a roster crunch and every team. I don't know if that's going to cut. Do you think that's going to cut down on the number of people that get picked? I don't know. It's going to be interesting because I, I know that other teams had this exact roster crunch that the Cubs had. You know, I, I think the Cubs had it maybe a little worse than some other teams. But I know the Tampa Bay Rays had this problem. The Dodgers always have this problem. There's, there's organizations that were in a very similar case, and there's a lot of them as the Cubs this year. So. Um, I don't know. It's going to be really because we've never seen it before, you know. So it's hard to pre- kind of predict mm-hmm. what this Rule Five draft is going to look like. Uh, I think that that there might be a similar number of players selected, but I think that the players that are selected might have a much bigger impact in the big leagues next year, you know. So uh, in, in years past, there's been however many guys selected, only a few stay on that roster on the team that that selected them all True. year long. And the ones that do don't make a huge impact at all, you know. And I think that going into next season, going into this Rule Five draft, and then going into next season, you might see guys make a bigger impact because they're more talented. They're they're more MLB ready because of that lack of Rule Five draft a year ago. Yeah, that's true. Um, so when the Cubs get to the Rule Five draft, which I think is December seventh, is that right? Uh, I have to pull it up on my calendar. Yeah, I, I, December seventh. It's, it's early right, December. Yeah. 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 Um, what do you think the Cubs would look for it, when they go out and look at the pool of available players? Yeah, I, I think that a guy that's really caught my eye, and I think that it might make sense for the Cubs roster, is a guy like Jake Mangum, uh, who is a Mets uh, farmhand right now, and he was—he's known for being one of the one of the best college baseball players, like no joke of all time in terms of hitting. Uh, he's the SEC's all-time leading uh, uh, leader in, in, in hits uh, at Mississippi State. And he's pretty damn good in, in center field, too. So uh, he kind of fits a need for the Cubs Major League roster right now, especially when you're, we're not planning on the Cubs Major League roster, like the, the, the Cubs Major League roster to have a guy in center field that's a superstar. And thus they're going out and signing Brandon right. Nimmo, which I don't really expect them to go out and sign Brandon Nimmo. You're looking at Cody Bellinger. You're looking at Kevin Kiermaier. You're looking at Michael Taylor. The guys like that that – are more of a, a defensive first center fielder that can maybe hopefully hold their own at the plate. And a guy like Jake Mangum uh, from from the Mets could really fill that need as a prospect and as a Rule 5 draft pick. So I, I don't necessarily expect them to go that route, but that's kind of the profile I'm looking at the Cubs to, to select in the Rule 5 draft if they go after a guy. Okay, cool. And I know their roster's tight, so we'll exactly. see if they do. Yeah. Um, now, it's my understanding that if you draft a guy, you keep him on your roster for one year, 
he is now your guy. You could send him back to the minors the following year. Exactly. So that's why yeah. we've seen in the past. I mean, there's been examples of of a team drafting a guy, keeping on keeping him on your your major league roster the entire year long, only to send him back down to the minors in in the following years for more development. Uh, those are like higher upside type guys, and mm-hmm. that's when it was way easier to kind of hide a guy in your, on your roster. There's new roster rules going into 2023 where you can only have a maximum of 13 pitchers. So that eighth guy on uh, on a the eighth guy in, in the bullpen is harder to protect than the, than the ninth guy in the bullpen. So we might not see that this year, especially because there's probably going to be more major league talent there available in the Rule Five draft. But yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. absolutely the case. Kind of what you explained there is is a team could definitely draft a high upside guy, and that's why a guy like Kevin Alcantara was pro- was protected in the draft, right? Kevin Alcantara sure. is not he's not major league ready by any means, right. and I mean, but his he is so high upside that a team absolutely would have taken the opportunity to draft him, keep him on the major league roster, try to develop him and get very few at bats probably at the major league level right. next year. Or if he does get at bats, then it's, it's it's it doesn't matter if he bats 175, you know, and then send him back down to double A, triple A uh, in 2024. So yeah, that, that that's why you protect a guy like Kevin Alcantara was for that exact reason you kind of laid out. Yeah, cool. Did you have any other thoughts on the Rule 5 draft? Otherwise, we can get into your top 40. No, man. I, I The Rule 5, like that protection day is one of my favorite days of the year. You know, I, I think that, that minor league opening day, you got uh, the draft. But minor league or Rule 5 protection day is always fun to me. I, I always enjoy it. Yeah, great. So I took a look at your top 40, and we can get your thoughts on it. There were a few guys that stood out to me, both as you had them ranked higher than I expected potentially and then some guys that i thought you had a little bit lower so i thought we'd dig into those and as to the why so the first guy that stood out to me was daniel palencia and i know i've heard a lot of good things about him and what's funny is looking back at the andrew chafin trade i remember seeing that trade and thinking the trade was for greg dykeman and some throw-in kit looking back i mean do, do you think the cubs were onto something or do you think they just kind of struck gold on this one I'd imagine they they were onto something there. I, I, I the 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 optimist in me thinks thinks that their scouting department did one heck of a job in identifying <laughs> Daniel Falencia. He hadn't had a whole lot of pro experience. He was a late. He was a. Did he throw a, like five innings before the trade or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, and he was a late signing. He didn't sign as a sixteen-year-old like we see some of these international signings. He was a later signing, um, and he just has done nothing but shove since he became a part of the Cubs organization. He killed it last year. Uh, or he killed it in 2021. He killed it again in 2022. Uh, the stuff is just the the stuff is arguably the best stuff in the entire system. You got a fastball that is regularly hitting triple digits. You got a slider sitting like 89 to 91 with a, with a quite a bit of break on it. And he flashes a changeup. I've really liked his changeup a little bit. I, he doesn't he doesn't throw it very often, and it's really hit or miss. But like when it's on, like the changeup is really good too. So. Uh, he is a shorter guy. I know he's throwing, pumping the gas, and there's always the reliever risk with a guy like Daniel Palencia. But man, like he he is holding that velo deep into starts. It's not like he's pumping yeah. 101 in the first inning, and by the time the fourth inning rolls around, he's back down to 94. Like he is holding that like high 90s fastball deep into his starts. Now he's not getting into like the sixth and seventh inning yet. But he's also, I, I think the Cubs have been very careful with his development. And it's not like he's not Isn't throwing. is he like 18, 19? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a, I think, 20, 21 at this point, I think, your old kid. I'd have to go back okay. and look for sure. But they're careful with him. And I think that's smart. I, there's no need to go out there and have him throw 120 pitches. It's just that, that doesn't make yeah. sense at this day and age. And so uh, the stuff is nasty enough. I, I think I have him ranked number 11 on my new prospect list. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that that's that's... I could see him skyrocketing even higher up to like the top four, top five, if he really does go deeper into starts next year. If that happens and he's doing that in double A, then it's over. <laughs> That's awesome. So the next guy that stood out to me um, was Porter Hodge. You had him at 15. And what I found interesting about your write-up, I've heard a lot of good things about him. I've seen some clips. But even as you're writing this, you're thinking, I'm kicking myself for not having this guy even higher than 15. Yeah, I tried to I tried to get him higher, man. I was I, was, I so I have, I have a notes uh, on my notes app on my phone. I just have like a running list, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of always tinkering with my my prospect list. And 
man, I tried to get him up higher. I swear I did, but because uh, I know that I know that some of the guys, I think that that Greg Zumak um, at Northside Bound might have him a little bit higher um, when when he drops his list. I know Brian Smith is really really high on Porter Hodge as well, and I tried to find a way to get him up there. I just couldn't. But I mean, Porter Hodge, like I I think Porter Hodge has the second best slider in the entire farm system. Uh, okay. the, I guess excluding Hayden Wesneski, who's up in the bigs now. Uh, sure. I, I go Jake Reindel has probably the best slider, I'd say, and then Porter Hodge is the next best one. And he's featuring a, a, a fastball in the mid, mid-90s at this point, touching high 90s. Uh, the body, like his body looks a whole lot better than it did in 2021. He looks like a starting pitcher now, which is huge. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, he, again, another guy who really flashes that changeup. To me, with Porter Hodge, it's – I want to see him do that again next year because he really popped onto mm-hmm. the radar this year in 2022 where, like, he wasn't on our radars as, as much coming into the year. And so anytime you're dealing with a guy that, like that, that just pops all of a sudden, you just have to stay a little skeptical. Um, and so if he comes out here in 2023 and does, whether it's in South Bend or in Tennessee or wherever it's at, if he does it for even a month, a month, a month, month and a half or so, I think that, that Porter Hodge can really climb up these lists too. Cool. Another one that uh, popped to mind is, Drew Gray, who I've seen kind of bouncing around the bottom of the top 30 lists for a little while now. I mean, you had him up significantly higher. I've seen him up on some other charts. What's, what is it that's pulling him up? Yeah, I, I think I'm every, everything I've heard from everybody is watch out for Drew Gray. Watch out for Drew Gray. Watch out for Drew Gray. I, I think that, <laughs> I think that I'm just kind of, I'm buying into that, man. Cause obviously I haven't seen him throw and really like I, I, I've said it before, but I, I used to not rank guys like Drew Gray. I used to either like have the requirement for myself to either see a guy live or watch him on MILB TV before I include him in any of my rankings. But at this point, I feel like I've talked with enough guys. I've seen enough scouting reports. I've seen some other film of players that I feel more comfortable ranking guys that I haven't watched play live or on MILB TV. Drew Gray is one of these guys. And everybody I've talked to, it's just the spin rates are off the charts. Um, I know there's been talk about him potentially uh, sitting low 90s, maybe hitting mid 90s by the time he comes back. I, I just think that that I wanted to be sure not to sleep on a guy like Drew Gray going into the season just because he missed last year because of Tommy John. He's still super super young, you know. So it's not like it's not like age is a problem. It's not like he's a 26 year old guy in, in in high A. That's not what we're talking about with Drew Gray. He was a high school draft pick. Um, I think that the spin rates in a spin rate era are going to really, really produce some some good results. Okay, cool. So we'll move on to a few guys who were maybe a little lower than I expected. One of them, I'll, I'll kind of tag team here. So back at the beginning of the season, a lot of the rankings I saw, a lot of the reviews I read, had kind of DJ Hers and Jordan Wicks kind of on similar path, similar level. Jordan Wicks, everybody seems to have now is sort of the number four number four, number five prospect, and you had DJ Hers a little bit lower. And I know in the past you've been super high on him. So yeah. <laughs> what did you see this year that kind of dropped him down that list? Yeah, I, I have been a lot higher on DJ Hers. I mean, I, I think I think on one of my lists, I even had DJ Hers as the number one pitching prospect in the Cubs system. But, um, yeah, I think that once, once he got out to double A and he struggled a little bit, and it wasn't just the fact that he was putting up bad numbers. It was kind of the way in which he was doing it. I think that – I'd love to see DJ come back in double A next year and kind of trust in his stuff a little bit more. You know, I think that he was like gunning for strikeouts way more in double A because he felt like he needed to. And he was just way like he was way, way better than every hitter he was facing when he was in, in South Bend. Like way better. And the, the stuff, the fastball, I know the fastball is more low 90s, but like he blows it by guys because of that quirky delivery. Um, mm-hmm. I've always loved his changeup, but the changeup is the is the the secondary offering that I like the most. And while I I really in past years have really enjoyed a good changeup, I think I've come around to the fact that that can't be the number one out pitch for a guy. That can't be the the number one strikeout pitch. And if like I guess look at Jordan Wicks, right, where he's always had a really good changeup too. But Jordan Wicks also developed a really good slider. So he can use okay. that slider against uh, lefty batters, and he can use the changeup against righties. You know, I need that from from the, from DJ Hers. I think it's a little bit more consistency, a little more depth on that slider, slurve, curveball, whatever we're calling it. That would make a huge difference um, 
in addition to the command. I, I, I need to see some more com- command and control. But man, like DJ Hers is a bulldog though. Like I, 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 I lowered him on this list, but I will say that like I, there's there's some some dudes in the system that you just trust more to bounce back, and mm-hmm. DJ Hers is one of those guys because I think he has the mentality. I think he has the like the want and the desire to get way way better. And I think this this offseason is going to be huge for him. I'm I'm really curious to see how he comes back because he'll be in Double A again, uh, assigned in 2023. And I just I, I have a lot of faith a lot of faith in DJ Hurst bouncing back because of his 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 outlook on his development. You know. Okay. Well, one thing that I think is easy to lose sight of as a fan is you look at these lists and you know 2014 to 2016, like all these guys, KB and Javi, they were top 10 in baseball and top 50 in baseball. And so you look at these and just because you're outside the top 10, I mean, I think when Christopher Morrell got called up, was he number 21? And he was absolutely electric. Yeah. I mean, he has his flaws, but he was electric. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I saw when the Cubs traded for Ben Brown, I think he was at the time the Phillies number 24, which is a little misleading because he was coming off some injury and missed time. But just because a guy falls down the list doesn't mean like they lose prospect status. Yeah. And I think that, like kind of referring to Daniel Palencia like you did earlier, right? Like we didn't, we nobody had really heard of Daniel Palencia entering, entering, or when 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 the Cubs traded for him. And so, these scouts are way better than us, man. Like I I, <laughs> I watch a, I watch a whole lot of minor league baseball. I watch a lot of minor league baseball, an unhealthy amount of minor league baseball. <laughs> uh, I don't know a quarter of what the scouts, these pro scouts, know. You know, yeah. and they, they are just incredibly good at their jobs, and they see these guys in person, and. and I, I like to go see these players in person as much as I possibly can. Uh, but I mean, I, I, I have a day job, so I'm not able to go do that as much as I'd like, you know? Right. So, uh, but that makes a big, big difference in, in scouting these guys and knowing who you have as players, as a front office, you know, you, you have your managers around these guys so much. You have your teammates around you all the time. Like there is just, there's more, more than the stat sheet, even though I, I, I love the stats. I love looking, digging into the numbers, and I'm sure we'll get into that here here later. But like, I'm big mm-hmm. into the numbers, huge in the numbers, and there's just more to it than that. And there's there's so much of, of the the human element to developing baseball players than I think gets mentioned. You know, well, I gotta assume too the scouts and coaches know who's really digging in their bullpen sessions, who's doing the extra side work, and who's really investing in the off season. Yeah, exactly. Well, and 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 two, it's like it, it's it can be both. You know, it can be there. There can be that 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 old school baseball scouting, but that needs to be paired with like the new age analytics, right? These the exit velos, mm-hmm. the launch angles, the 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 vertical attack angle, like all, all these different things need to be incorporated with the old school approach of like what is a guy looking like, you know? And that that merge that merge is the way that that baseball is at its best. Yeah. One more that stuck out to me, kind of the opposite of DJ Hurst. So Caleb Killian obviously got a lot of the hype when he was brought over in the Chris Bryant trade. And I remember looking last year, like when they first got him, everybody was high on Caleb Killian and I wasn't seeing him in the charts. And so I was trying to find reviews on him or whatever, but he got a ton of buzz. Obviously he took off in the Arizona Fall League last year. I mean, throwing that, there was no hitter, right? In the Arizona Fall League no championship yeah. game. Yeah. First, Yeah. Um, what happened to him this year? He came up to Chicago. We saw, and obviously this command guy didn't have it in the bigs. And then I get, he struggled when he went back to the minors. Like, what did you see in him this year? I, it was, it was such a frustrating year for Caleb Gillian. And I, so entering 2022, you have a guy who is like plus plus command, right? He's not walking anybody, but not Mm -hmm. only is, is his control good where he's not walking anybody, but he's putting the ball exactly where he wants it. And then we saw in the Arizona Fall League, the stuff really start to tick up, right? We saw him develop that spike curve. We saw the fastball with a, a little added velo to it. Um, the stuff started to look a whole lot better. And so that's why I think we are dreaming coming into this year on, wow, like how is this guy number one? Is he number two? And I think the reason behind that was because you're thinking about pairing this, this newfound stuff with his already existing plus plus command. And there's a really good pitcher. Well, this year we saw for whatever reason, I don't, I don't know the reason, but we saw for whatever reason, the command just completely go by the wayside. We saw the command and control just completely escape him. And the stuff is there, 
but he's also not missing a whole lot of bats. And so like that, that really, really concerns me when, when you have a guy who can't control the baseball, but also he's not missing any bats. The swing strike rate is just not good. It was one of the worst in the entire farm system for the Cubs this year. Um, and so that combination is really not a good look. It's really not a good thing. So the hope going into next year is that one of the two things plays out, right? Either the command returns for whatever reason it escaped him. Hopefully the command returns. That's, that's I guess, number one on my, on my list for Caleb Killian. If that doesn't happen, then you really like to see the stuff play in the way you expect it to, right? He's got the nasty stuff. It should be generating way more swings and misses than it is. I don't know. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend like to act like I know why his good offerings are not getting swings and misses, but it's just, they, they just weren't. And so if you can do one of those two things, then you got a pitcher on you. Like you got a, you got a major league pitcher in some, yeah. in some capacity. If you do neither, you don't have a major league pitcher. If you can do both, then you got a really good starter in the major leagues. It's just he could go right. any route. And that, that uncertainty about like who he is as a pitcher moving forward is why I kind of dropped him on my list. I'm just a little bit concerned about those two things combined. Okay. That makes sense. Um, I guess to kind of wrap this section of it up, who was sitting kind of just out of your top 40 that we might be talking about a year from now or a year and a half from now? Yeah, I, I had a few guys. I know that, that Cole Roeder was was kind of just on the outside looking in as far as as far as my rankings. I really want I really wanted to find a way to rank Cole Roeder. I really wanted to find a way to rank uh, another outfielder, Christian Franklin, because I I did sneak Parker Chavers into my my prospect list, which which was mm-hmm. awesome. I loved being able to do that. Uh, Christian Franklin, kind of same story, right? Went went to a went to a pretty good baseball school in college. Uh, Chavers went to Coastal Carolina, and then uh, Christian Franklin went to uh, Arkansas. Both center fielders, both really good defensive center fielders. Both have some speed. Both have some pop of the plate, right? They're very similar types of players. Uh, Parker Chavers came back and he played this year. He didn't produce great results, but he looked pretty good doing it. Christian Franklin was not able to come back from injury. And so I, I just kind of erred on the side of caution in terms of ranking Christian Franklin, but he's, he's right there. And I, I think that those bats, I think that there are more bats just missing the cut on my rankings than pitchers. I think I kind of exhausted most of the pitchers that I was looking at uh, on my rankings in that top 40. But like I said, Rotor, I think that Cole, uh, Christian Franklin was, was just on the outside looking in. Darius Hill was there as well, where he just kind of missed okay. the cut. Um, I, I think those were the main three guys that I was I was looking at, just just kind of missing the cut. Okay, cool. Now some of the prospects obviously have gone through some injuries this year. I don't think we have to spend a lot of time on Brennan Davis and Canario. They've been pretty well documented, and it sounds like both are kind of wait and see, see how that surgery comes out for Canario, and see how the back play is heading into spring training. But um, what have you heard on Ed Howard? That was a pretty gruesome injury early in the year, and I know he was. Sounds like he was getting close to coming back. Yeah, I haven't really heard a whole lot on Ed Howard. Um, I know that that uh, there was word about him potentially kind of returning to to some activities later this later this year. So I guess it's November. So hopefully soon here. Uh, yeah, the, the the injury really concerned me with with Ed Howard. I, I think that, that it's just such a uh, a brutal injury, I guess, with that hip, but also yeah. one we don't really like, that doesn't happen very often you know i mean like we with with right. with canario at least i mean it's an it's an ankle injury we're familiar enough with ankle injury if you see uh torn ucls for pitchers you see the tommy johnson like you see these these injuries that keep people out for a while but the hip injury is just not one i was familiar with i think not a very uh uh common one in baseball so that's kind of what concerns me the most i really liked what Ed howard was doing uh early on early on in the few at bats that he got this season really really liked it so um, I, my, I guess my spin, my positive spin on the Ed Howard thing is that he's still young. Like, right. He, he can come back whenever he's healthy yeah. next year in South Bend and still be, still be younger than the average age at that level, you know? So it's not like, okay. uh, it's not like he's a guy who really desperately needed that in terms of age, in terms of age, he wasn't a college guy. He wasn't, uh, being drafted. I mean, he, he's still young. He's still part of what made Ed Howard so good is how smooth, like he was nicknamed silk for a reason. He was so smooth on the, on the, on the baseball field, both at the plate on the bases and in the field. And I'm hoping he can return to that smoothest silk form when he returns from, from the IL eventually. Fingers crossed. Hopefully. Yeah. 
Um, another guy I want to ask you about, um, and I was thinking about this in the context of all the Shohei Otani chatter, and I'm well on record as wanting the Cubs to do anything possible to bring Otani in. But in the fourth round this year, they drafted Nazir Moulet as a two-way player. And it sounds like the Cubs are going to give him a shot, even though maybe he's better. The pitching side is stronger right now than the, the offense side. But how do you see that? Do you think do you think he'll stick as a two-way? I, I'd say no. <laughs> you know, the odds, I'd say yeah, no that he course. won't. But <laughs> I, I'm a little surprised. I mean, I, I'm surprised they but went. But it's so much fun. I know, dude. I, I, I'm surprised they went that route. I mean, I'm surprised they've gone that route in this very short period of time, you know. I didn't expect them to go the route of right. saying, "Hey, we'll keep him as a as a two way two way guy." I think the pitching wise, he can be really really good. Um, he he's a really good athlete. I mean, as evidenced by the fact that he's a two way player. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I he's not going to be a shortstop if he's doing the two way thing. He's going to be a DH. Sure. Uh, yeah. I, I remember a few years back when Hunter Hunter Green was drafted, and I, I think what he went second overall when he got drafted. And he was just a two-way there, yeah. guy, right? And, and a, a fireballing uh, pitcher and a shortstop. And obviously, like I, I think, I think they actually had him play a few games in the minor leagues at shortstop. But like that's not that's not sustainable long term or or really no. short term. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I like it. I, it. When you when you have a premier athlete like that, you might as well. You can always fall back on on uh, hitting or pitching. I'm, I'm I lean towards pitching, but you can always fall back on that and. Uh, especially when you're that young, you know, I mean, like there, I, I don't think there's a, a need to kind of choose one or the other right off the bat. And I'm about it, man. I, I, I think that he's a fun, like he seems just like a fun prospect in general. He seems like a fun guy. Yeah. I might as well make him a fun player by keeping him as a two-way guy. I'm all about it. I was, I was excited to see them take him and then say, Hey, you at least got a shot. Yeah. Like, I love that. I love that. I'll I, take I, I, I don't know for sure, but it just feels like something the front office wouldn't have done five years ago. You know, I, I, and, and yeah, probably not. maybe it's trust. Maybe it's a, a, maybe that was a Theo thing. Maybe they trust in their development staff more, which I think that's definitely a thing, a thing where they trust in their development staff, but that might be a contributing factor, you know, in the fact that they decided to say, yeah, we'll keep you two way. And, and I guess we're having this conversation, but I mean, who knows, we could come back in spring training 2023 and find out he's just a pitcher now, you know, yeah. <laughs> who knows, but what? And it may not be he's not good enough to do both. I mean, it's it's really hard to do either one at the major league level. Exactly, exactly. So um, let's back this up a bit. So, you know, I've been listening to your podcast for a while, your podcast with Jimmy Nelligan, Growing Cubs, and then now into Cubs on Deck. Um, How did you get started in this? You've been doing it for a while, and kind of where did this all begin? Yeah, man, I I get that question a decent amount, and it's so – I mean – I've been writing about Cubs prospects for a while. I mean, like since uh, early on in college, I, 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 my day job has nothing to do with writing or podcasting or blog, like nothing to do with any of that. Uh, but as like a little hobby thing, I started, I started uh, early on in college uh, several years ago, just writing about Cubs prospects. And I started doing that because I, w- I got interested a few years prior to that in as prospects were coming up, as they were hitting the major league level, I was just so confused as as I was younger. Where are these guys coming from? You know, like I was watching guys mm-hmm. make their major league debuts, and I was like, "Oh, this is this is so funny!" And just like the like that's one of the like the purest things in sports is watching a guy come up and make his debut, having family in the stands, having the the, the team just completely behind you in what you're doing, and watch a guy get his first major league hit and all those different things, and like it's just so pure. And so I loved that. And so I wanted to know where they were coming from. So I started following the box scores of all the, the minor league affiliates. I was watching, I was keeping up with the Boise Hawks and, and, and the Daytona Cubs and all that good stuff and <laughs> keeping track of them then. And I kind of realized that not a whole lot of people seem to like post about that online on, on Twitter when I got mm-hmm. on there. I mean, there, there's some, obviously there's, there's some, some great people, but like when I started doing this, there weren't a ton of people doing that. And so I started writing a little bit just for like a little small blog and it was, it was fun. I, I just kind of did it whenever I, I, I please. But then I ended up latching on with Cubs Insider. Um, and when I latched on with Cubs Insider, I started doing more kind of regular writing, some weekly pieces and some deep dives into some players and stuff like that. I'd been writing for Cubs Insider for a little bit, and they approached me over there and said, hey, uh, are you at all interested in coming on and, and kind of hosting the very first Cubs Prospect podcast? 
And at that point, I'd been on, I'd been a guest talking Cubs prospects on a couple different shows, like once or twice, but like I didn't really have experience podcasting at all. And so I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, like I, I, I'd be interested in doing that. And they're like, all right, well, like, go ahead and find your, find your co-host. And I was like, well, crap. And it was tough, right? Because I was like, I was like, I don't, I, <laughs> no pressure. I, I was like, I, I didn't really have like, I, I had, I had friends that I felt like I had a good rapport with, but they didn't know Cubs prospects. And then I had people that I was, I was acquainted with that knew Cubs prospects really well, but I felt like I didn't have that rapport with. And you, you got to kind of mm-hmm. really merge that really well to have a, a consistent co-host on a show. And so I reached out to Jimmy Nelligan, like you said, and he was, he was completely game to get to come. I had known him for years. And so we, we just dug in and started, we didn't know what we were doing and we just had at it, man. Like we just started talking Cubs prospects and what it became was just every Sunday we would sit down and just have a conversation about that. We would, we would hop on a call and talk Cubs prospects and then we'd hit publish and there it was. So uh, that quickly, quickly, quickly became one of my favorite things to do. Like that, that's my, it's podcasting about Cubs prospects is my, my favorite hobby. It's a passion of mine at this point. Like I just, I love doing that and then talking and getting to know players and bringing out the human element to the game of baseball and all that good stuff. I just, it's something I absolutely love to do. I'm sitting here talking with you about, about it too. And it's it just, I, I love yeah. it. And so, uh, Ultimately, I ended up starting up Northside Bound with uh, Greg Zumack and Todd Johnson and Jimmy Nelligan. And it, it just, I, I felt like there wasn't, we kind of felt like there wasn't a, a site dedicated um, to the ins and outs of the Cubs minor league system and Cub, of Cubs prospects. And so we wanted to kind of have a, di- a site dedicated to that topic. Um, and, and since then, I've kind of, I've, like I said, like you kind of mentioned, I've, I've started my own podcast here, Cubs on Deck. Uh, same stuff I was doing over at Growing Cubs with Jimmy, but uh, doing it with Brian Smith from Bleacher Nation, doing it with uh, Greg Zumack, like I've mentioned, from Northside Bound. I'll have co-hosts uh, from the broadcasters from the minor league affiliates. They're going to hop on and co-host with me every once in a while. But, man, it's just awesome. it's just something that I love, I love doing. It's, I, and at this point, I've been doing it long enough that I love to be able to follow these guys from the day they're drafted and see them debut in the major leagues. Like, that's – that is just something I absolutely adore having that happen, you know? And so I've been doing it long enough that I've seen several guys do that. I've had inter- guys that I've interviewed, whether that's on a podcast or for an article, um, make their major league debuts. And it's like, I, I just, that is a guy that it's like the, my feeling for my favorite player, right? For it, it's been Anthony Rizzo. Right. My favorite player has been uh, wh- whoever Derek Lee was for Derek Lee for years. I love Nomar Garcia. Right. I had all these favorite players, but it's like that feeling every single time a guy that I've covered for years ends up making his major league debut. It's like, I, I, I love that so much. That's funny. Like from your podcast, like I'm a total Max Bain guy now, like when's he going to come up? Yeah. Right. And And then I was, I was, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and then with the off, you know, it's, it's not quite the same, but I'm, I'm a big listener of Ian Happs and Dakota Mekas on the compound. And to see, you know, Dakota now leave, and you guys had talked about it, and I think, I can't remember if it was you or Jimmy said, you thought Dakota would make it to the majors, but not with the Cubs. And it's just kind of sad to see him go. Yeah, man, it's like, yeah, you, you just kind of develop a different type of fandom for these players when you when you kind of hear the human side of it, yeah. you know? And I, I think that the, the compound does a great job of that, where Ian Happ and Zach Short and Dakota Mekis, like, you really get to know the people behind, behind the the them being on the field and so we really like when we get well we haven't done it yet because we've only released one episode so far of cubs on deck but uh we'll get some interviews going we'll get some interviews with players we did i think we did not quite 20 players i think between like probably like 10 a dozen or so i don't know how many players we interviewed me and jimmy on growing cubs but we'll get we'll get some players on cubs on deck and like it's the, the fun part about that is reaching out to guys seeing if they're interested in coming on the podcast because like you really learn that these players are just normal human beings. Like they're just like me and you just like have a, have a casual conversation with, they just happen to be really, really good at playing baseball, <laughs> you know, like, yes. and I think that's so cool, man. Like, so we just, just get them on the show and like, they're great human beings. And that's something where the Cubs organization over the last five plus years now, has just done an incredible job at getting great human beings in their system. And I think that's a, that's a, that, that's a quality that goes a long way in developing a baseball player. Yes. And I've seen that firsthand with all the guys I've interviewed. I, I have not come across a single player I've interviewed. And, and I, 
I, I wouldn't call out the player by name if, it, if this situation did come up, but I can honestly say that I have not come across a single player that I've interviewed that I'm like, wow, that guy's a jerk as I've, as I've finished up recording right. or having a conversation with him. Not one single time has that happened. I've talked to a lot of different dudes. Uh, I think that's pretty incredible that that's the case, you know? I mean, cause like you, you'd imagine there'd be a, a couple guys that, that I come away like, yeah. ah, he might be, he's a jerk or whatever. Not once. And that's, we've all worked with that guy. Yeah, exactly. And so like, maybe, maybe that does exist in the Cubs system. I, I haven't come across it yet. I have not. So, uh, in terms of my interview. So I, I applaud the Cubs front office for kind of propping up that quality of, of a person, you know? Yeah. And, and building on that. So there's, I think everything is so much more accessible now. Like I, I know growing up, I, I grew up in the eighties in Iowa and I had the Iowa Cubs and I had WGN, you know, I could see whoever was playing with the Iowa Cubs in Des Moines a few times a year. Now we've got, we've got minor league MILB TV you mentioned there are web clips all over the place there's some limited stat cast data you've got fan graphs and baseball reference they've got minor league stats and you know all that stuff's out there as the fan at home like it's kind of daunting like the you know at the major league level I can look at all the stats and see yeah Justin Verlander he's pretty freaking awesome but when I see a guy posting those numbers in a ball like what does that mean and so what do you look for to see where a guy really sits and see like what's really projectable to the big league level? Yeah, that's that's always like that's the that's the secret formula, right? Like if if someone knows right. like for sure what the answer to that question is, then they would not be podcasting with you and me. <laughs> you know, like That's true. <laughs> uh, but I, I think that like it's an important question though, because I mean, like the way I kind of evaluate players when I'm doing my prospect rankings or when I'm trying to hype up a guy that I think fans aren't talking uh, about enough necessarily uh really it's important to get eyes on these guys i mentioned it earlier right like you i remember when i was just kind of checking box scores and i was trying to like rank these players early on in in my days writing where like i was watching the box scores i wasn't watching them them on milb tv and that's when you get tricked into ranking no no disrespect but that's when you get tricked into ranking guys like chesney young right that that's posting like a super high batting average is <laughs> chesney young is, is posting a 350 batting average in double a and you're like oh like this guy this guy must be good and like he's really he was really good for double a but then you like you watch and 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 again I, i'm not trying to pick on Chesney. it's just it's the the what my mind goes to when i think evaluating prospects where it's like he just didn't have any type of pop to be able to continue to, to rise up the ladder. So what you're looking at in terms of like physical, you're looking at physical projection. And you, so you, Kevin, Kevin Alcantara is a good example of this, right? Where Kevin Alcantara is a young teenager playing in low, low A ball this year. And even though he did put up good numbers, they weren't outrageously good numbers, right? Like they, they, they were, I mean, they, they were, they were good numbers. But when you dig a little sure. deeper and you see, okay, Kevin Alcantara is a guy who has plenty of room to put on a lot more muscle. And he and so because of that, he can add to his power profile. You look at the stats and it's like, oh, well, he was also playing in Myrtle Beach, which is really, really bad on hitters, right? The the the, the breeze coming off the 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 Atlantic Ocean is is tough mm-hmm. on hitters and it really limits the number of home run balls and just hits in general. And like so when you take that into account. It, even greater and great it, it's it's a greater improvement of his prospect profile you know and so it just there's a lot to take into account when you're evaluating these players and it's more than just the stats and like i said it's more than just the 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 physical scouting of of him as a as, as a player you know yeah um and how much of that is so i know like back in the day like we'll go back you mentioned nomar so you're you remember the era of felix pa mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. Yes, the old five tools guy, and the Cubs had a number of those guys who, you know, came in with huge hype, yeah. really athletic. They really did have all the, all the skills. Didn't really produce in the minors, but I think the mindset at the time was the skill set's so good, they're eventually going to figure it out. Whereas now I wonder if we've almost gone the other way, where um, we're so analytically driven. You know, how does how does that balance look to you? Yeah, well, I it's, think it, I think it's interesting because uh, I think it, even as recently as twenty years ago, probably not ten, but probably twenty years ago, maybe fifteen years ago, like we weren't looking at like plate approach and plate discipline as much as we are to like clearly not as much as we are today. 
But like, yes. I think that's why when you identify like five tool players or if you identify great offensive talent, it's like, okay, yeah, but they were just going and mashing in the minor leagues. They were just hitting the crap out of the ball. And then they get up to the big league. It's like, hey, you have to have some some sort of an approach, you know? Like, you, you can't just be swinging at everything. Because if, if, if you're doing that, like, even 20 years ago when guys weren't throwing 102 miles an hour with 93-mile-an-hour sliders, you would still get, like, caught. And so mm-hmm. I think that that has been something that has been terrific where – you're looking at, at, at numbers and, and a lot of these for the minor leagues, I, I can't evaluate guys in this way, but like front offices have these numbers where it's like zone contact rate and you're looking at, at chase rate and you're looking at, at, at numbers like that, where even though they're not available to us, front offices can evaluate guys using those tools. And so by the time they get up to the majors, us as fans are not expecting, they, they're not necessarily putting unrealistic expectations on a guy like, Brett Jackson or Josh Vitters that didn't really have a have a, a plate approach, you know, like they could clearly hit. Mm-hmm. They just didn't have a plate approach. And so now, now you you see a guy like Brennan Davis who has a good plate approach. I know he's still striking out like a decent amount, but like we know that plate approach is there, where he he knows how to handle and at bat. Um, and so that makes a big big difference. But you're right, you do have to balance those things. You have to balance like you still have to pay attention to the fact that how does the ball come off a guy's bat. Talking about Brendan Davis, I've, I've told, told this story so many times where I went out and watched Brendan Davis. It, I was, it was when he was with the South Bend Cubs back in 20, uh, 2019, right? When he made his – sorry, the, that COVID year really throws, throws a wrench into oh, evaluating yeah, prospects, mess. man. <laughs> uh, and he was playing for the South Bend Cubs, and he was making his full, full season debut, and he was playing over in Dayton um, against the Dayton Dragons. And at the time, I was living over in Ohio, and so I went over to Dayton to go watch him play. I was down on the field before the game watching him take batting practice, and the dude was just peppering the right center wall, just just playing pepper with the wall. And the sound of the ball off his bat, it just sounded different, man. Like it just it just sounded like something I've never heard before. That matters. You know, like that that yes. it, it's it sounds cliche. It sounds like, oh, like you're just trying to hype up. That that matters. Watching a guy in batting practice and the way he makes it contact does. with the ball, even take out like my sound comment, like even take out the, the comment of like it just sounded different. The way he makes contact with the ball makes a difference. And so like, I think that's something that that front offices and and that that evaluators and scouts, I think they still absolutely do take that into account. I think as from a fan's perspective, we might not put enough stock in that. I think that that because there's all this data available to us at are at our fingertips, especially at the major league level. I think that we dive into that a lot by, and don't take into account the other things. But the bright side is the front offices have both those types of people, right? They have the, right. they have the nerds like me digging into the numbers. They have the scouts that are the old school guys that are, are digging into the, the, the way his body moves on the baseball field, you know? So I think, I think that that might be something that is more, uh, more of a, I, I don't want to say more of a problem because I, I don't know that it's necessarily a problem, but I think it's more of a concern as far as like fandom goes rather than like front offices. Okay. Well, and that kind of feeds into the question. So we hear about the prospects and er, nobody can wait for PCA, but it, it's easy to forget that he hasn't seen a pitch at double A yet. Um, <laughs> but so like these guys become kind of that bright, shiny object that's got you know, the, almost this limitless future. And then they come up and, you know, Nelson Velasquez was pretty highly rated. I think he was top 15 mm-hmm. when he got pulled up and Christopher Morel was top 20 or borderline top 20. Well, those guys now we've seen them in the bigs. They've got some warts. I mean, they've got some weaknesses and we'll see over time if they're fatal flaws or if they're, you know, young players who have to adapt. But how do you balance that? Do you get a lot of feedback from fans about, you know, they're, they're kind of almost this like perfect, wonderful thing until they get to the bigs and then, Shit, they can't play. Yeah, I that that's kind of interesting. So, I I feel like I'm I am unapologetically a prospect hugger. You know, like I, I think that people make fun of that. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just a prospect hype man. So, but at the same time, I've wa- I I I felt myself over the past few years go from hyping up players, hyping up players, hyping up players, so that they're that fans are so excited for them by the time they get to the major leagues. So I'm still trying to do that. I still want to make sure that fans are aware of who's coming because I, I love that. I love doing that. 
But at the same time, I just don't want fans to get unrealistic expectations of who a prospect may or may not be at the major league level, right? And because if he comes up and is in struggles for half a season, I don't want fans to say, this guy sucks, get him out of here. That's frustrating to me. And I I think that Christopher Morrell is a great example of that, where I I was a little bit lower on Christopher Morrell than maybe I should have been as, as coming up through the system. But I... I felt pretty confidently that like what Christopher Morrell was at the major league level was a utility guy that played multiple different positions and played them very well. And doing that, he could show off his good exit velos at the plate and be streaky. And it would just depend on how his plate approach went to see how, how many at bats he got over the course of a season. Mm-hmm. I think he's still kind of there. That's still what he kind of is. When he came yeah. up, he, he killed it. He absolutely killed it the first, what, two, two it was months? Ridiculous. Yeah. And was it was it twenty two straight games he reached base? Yeah, it's like I, career, I like would that. never, as, as a prospect evaluator, whatever you want to call me, I would never have predicted that in a million years that he would get on base in twenty two straight games to begin his career. Nope, absolutely not. And so fans saw that and they were like, "This dude is no joke," right? They're like, they're like, and he's lovable. He's so lovable, and and that helps, right? And and they're like, oh, like Greg, like he he ranked him way too low, and it's like like crap like i i i I, maybe i did but you can't get too high you can't get too low on these guys right off the bat because like say he would like him coming up and killing it for the first month and a half of the season shouldn't versus him coming up and being absolutely awful like you shouldn't evaluate a player's career based on that first month and a half and so i i don't want my what I hate happening is I don't want a guy to come up and guy and, and fans be so hype over this prospect, like a Caleb Killian or whatever, and then just like be completely off the bandwagon because he struggled in three starts. There's other reasons to to be skeptical of what Caleb Killian, like I went like I talked about earlier, sure. but like it shouldn't be because he simply struggled for three starts, you know. Right. Um. And so I I I just it's that balance. It's 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 really really that balance of like. I just don't want fans to get too high or too low, but I want them to know that these guys are coming. <laughs> and, and I think we'll see that with Mervis. I mean, that's why I think the Cubs are looking for a first baseman. Because yeah. if you say Mervis is the guy, go hit 35 bombs. That's a huge expectation to put on a rookie. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that I think that <laughs> Mervis is another really good example of that, dude. That we're like, <laughs> I already fans have unreasonable expectations for Matt Mervis. Like, if he doesn't, if he doesn't hit 30 bombs and have an, have a WRC plus of like 130 next year, I think fans might be disappointed. And that that scares yeah. me. That's like that that shouldn't yes. be the case. You know, like if he comes up and hit, it should be fine to hit 10 and be 106. Yeah, yeah, if he has, that's all I was going to say. If he has a, a WRC plus barely above 100, it's like, well, he was better than league average. That you'll take that from yeah. a rookie, you know, like I that's tough, man. That it, it's tough and I I I I'm worried about Matt Mervis especially. And so I think I've been trying to temper expectations, especially given the fact that he he's a first base prospect. You know, like he he needs to he needs to hit to be a good quality major league player. Yes, and that's really t- that's really tough for a first base prospect. It's why you don't see a whole lot of like first base prospects coming up through minor league organizations and killing at the big league level. You know, like in mm-hmm. in this recent era, it's been like like Pete Alonso came up and and he was a top prospect and he killed it, but like. Go back and look at at recent like you know you can go to like MLB Pipeline and look at top ten yeah. by by position. Go go look at the first base rankings for the past five years or so. Not a whole lot of dudes that came up and killed it. And so, I I just I hope fans just have that in the back of their minds. Like enjoy if if Mervis goes out there and kills it, that's awesome. Like enjoy it, enjoy yes. every second of it. Like with Christopher Morrell, enjoy every second of it. But just in the back of your mind, just like. Keep that in mind. Like, just, just, just don't forget that. Like, it's okay if he struggles. It's okay if Christopher Morrell becomes a 400 plate appearance, uh, plate appearances over the course of a year utility guy. That has value, you know. Yeah. It's okay if Matt Mervis hits 106 WRC plus in his first year. That's value. That's a good season, you know. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's gonna be interesting as these kids start coming up. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of obviously there's been a lot of talk about the pitch lab and the pitching seems to be ahead of the hitting right now, which was a complete flip. I think what they did in 2019 bringing in the new pitching infrastructure is clearly working. Do you think that's what they're trying to replicate with with Dustin Kelly now being the major league hitting coach and kind of overseeing the system? It feels like a cohesive type of organization move. You know, it feels like 
well, first of all, I guess it feels like he he was a, a rising star in the industry and they wanted to be sure to keep him in the organization and all that good stuff. But I also just think that he's had experience in the system. There's guys coming up and they'll be familiar with Dustin Kelly as they reach the big leagues. I think that he has left a really good impression on a lot of the other, the other coaches in the system, in the organization. And it just feels like, it just feels like a good move. It, it feels different than the other hitting coach hires over the years, you know, where I know that like, I think that the side of Sharma wrote, wrote an article. I didn't get a chance to read it yet, but, but about that, like hitting coach turnover over the past yes. several years. And I did see that it was good. I, I don't know, man. Like it just feels like it feels this one. This one feels different, you know. It does. Well, and that's what I think they're trying to build. I think obviously they want to be more like the Astros in terms of player development and having. I mean, it's pretty impressive to let Carlos Correa walk and plug in Pena and you know go win World Series MVP. You can do a whole lot worse than than trying to imitate the the Astros or the Dodgers. <laughs> yes, agreed. Um, I guess to kind of wrap this up, I put some put a quick list together, and I'm going to give you some sort of baseball player traits, and give me like the name that pops for you. Okay, yeah, I love it. Hopefully, this will be fun. So, um, going through the system, best fastball. Who's got the best fastball in the system? I'm going to go with with Daniel Palencia on that. It's 102 with some ride on it. Like it's not just it's not as if a fastball needs to be more than just 102. It is more than 102, which is wild. <laughs> That's a little scary. Um, best off-speed pitch. Uh, give me, give me Jake Reindel's slider. He's not a top prospect, but uh, he he's a guy that could get picked up in the rule five. It would be a surprise. Like, he hasn't pitched in the upper levels of the minors, but that slider as a reliever is that good. That slider is the best the best off-speed offering in the system. Well, and sometimes if you have an elite pitch, that's. I mean, you're not going to be a starting pitcher on go seven innings on one pitch, but. Yeah. You can be a pretty impact reliever. Yes. Um, overall, fastball, off-speed, whatever. Who's got the nastiest pitch? What what pitch is the the hardest hit to pitch and hardest pitch to hit in the system? Can I can I can I tweak that that a little bit? Can I can sure. I say that between Jeremiah Estrada and Zach Lee, their fastball slider combination is just deadly. But both of both of them have like it, they're they're slightly different. But like Jeremiah Estrada has that fastball that just disappears. Like we saw it in the major leagues this year. But like it oh, just it, it, incredible. It's hitting the high nineties, but it's also like riding like crazy. Um, and Zach Lee does something pretty like he's got like kind of the cut ride fastball a little bit. But that the fastball slider combination for those two guys. I know that wasn't the answer to your question, but I wanted to be able to plug that a little. No, bit. that's I, a I better this answer. A good than... opportunity. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I don't ask the best questions. So. Um, in the system, let's say um, I said ace, but who, who's got the highest upside as a starter? If anybody in the system has the potential to be like a future number one, who are you looking at? Cade Horton. I, we, we haven't seen Cade Horton throw for a Cubs affiliate yet because he was the first round draft pick this past season. But I think I think Cade Horton has the best, the highest upside as a starting pitcher. And the mo- like, uh, he's your number one. He's your ace. I, I think he's a, he's a bulldog of a pitcher. He's got a good fastball. He's got that slider that he was using t- towards the tail end of his time in Oklahoma. Katie Horton's your, your number one. Although if you're, if, if you were, if I was saying like, who's the most likely to be a good, like number two, number three starter, the the it's a much higher probability than Cade Horton being a number one. Jordan Wicks being a number two or number three is a way higher plot probability, and there's still a whole lot of value, obviously, in a number two or number three starter. Right. Sure, uh, and he's not far off. You know, like Cade Horton, we haven't seen pitch in the Cubs farm system. Jordan Wicks is in Double A. Like we might see Jordan Wicks in in Chicago. I think it's a pretty good possibility we see Jordan Wicks in Chicago in 2023. That's exciting. I love that guy's profile. Yeah, yeah. What about um, future closer? I Jeremiah Stroud is the answer. I know. <clears throat> I know that that's cheating a little bit because we've already seen him in the bigs. But Jeremiah Stroud is the answer. I, I, I would, if I could see a major in two, three years, if I could see a major league bullpen with Brandon Hughes in the seventh, Zach Lee in the eighth, and Jeremiah Estrada in the ninth. I'd be a happy man. I would be. I would be happy. That's awesome. I, I'd be about. It. I, I think that, like, like I said, the stuff on those two guys, Lee and, and Estrada, is that good. And Brandon Hughes shoved this this year in in, in the yes, major league. So 
that that seventh, eighth, and ninth combination. I, I'd love to see Jeremiah Estrada shutting it down in the bigs in the ninth inning. Do you think he'll make it up this year? I think so. uh, Lee or Estrada. No, Estrada. I, I think I think Estrada for sure. I think we'll see we'll see a, a pretty a pretty good amount of run for Estrada in the big leagues this year. Uh, Lee, I think we might be able to see see Zach Lee in the majors this year. I he'll he'll probably start the year in Double A, but he'll spend a lot of time in in Triple A Triple A Iowa. I think in in twenty twenty three. So once you. A reliever in starting the year in Double A like has a, stands a pretty good chance of making it up to the bigs. A lot of guys once they're in Double A, they're sort of in range, right? Exactly. Like if, you just, if you need a guy and yeah, and I've always said that about like forty man rostered prospects too. Like we saw that with Christopher Morel. Like true. If you're if you are a exactly is not in this case, but like if you're a a forty man rostered prospect in Double A, you you are you are way more likely than a like. I, I just think you're you're right there. You're you're right there to being called as the big leagues, and that that's always fun. Um, and it was fun seeing Christopher Morel make that jump this year. Cool. So let's go to the non-pitchers here. So, who's got the best speed in the system? Uh, the best speed, I'll go with Zach Davis. He's not really a, a a top prospect. I mean, he's he the his value comes from being just the fastest man in the system and playing some good defense in center field. Uh, he bounced around a little bit from Iowa in down to Tennessee a little bit this past year. If mm-hmm. if the dude like he, he just reminds me of a guy that like is a playoff push type speed guy, maybe making a playoff roster as as a speed guy. That's it. Okay. That's Zach Davis. Now, if we're talking prospects that are more than just their speed, PCA PCA has the has the speed man, and 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 PCA is fun on the base. Like not only is he fast, <laughs> but like. He's got that hobby aggressiveness on the base paths that you love to see. Like the the style, like he's just running hard. He's sliding all over the place. He's swim moving. He's he's being aggressive. He's being a little bit too aggressive sometimes, getting thrown out on the bases. But it's like sure. you're fat. You're fast. You're a good base runner. Like we can afford you getting thrown out every once in a while. I was I was bummed I missed him. So I, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, and in this spring, my my oldest played baseball and it was his senior year and going through all that stuff. So I didn't have a chance to get to Myrtle beach before he got promoted, but yeah, I mean, it was, uh, he's fun, man. Like he's like appointment television. Every time he takes the field, I, you know, the, uh, the, what was the whip around show? The, uh, what was the whip around show that, that Marquee hosted this past year? Uh, Oh yeah. The, the, with the, with all the minor league games going on at one time, it was with Lance and, yeah. and Elise and, yep. and, and I know what you're talking about. I can't think of the name. And, uh, they, uh, Road to Wrigley. It was Road to Wrigley, and uh, yes. as they were hosting that show, it was pretty much every time PCA came to the plate, like they had to have him on on TV, and it's like that's that's how it's supposed to be. PCA, <laughs> you gotta be watching him as anytime he's at, at bat or or in the field, really. <laughs> he's so much fun. Yeah. Um, most electric power, like the, the just the biggest power bat. I think Alexander Canario has to be the answer. I mean, Matt Mervis hit the most home runs last year, but his is more of like a. Matt Mervis is more of like a, I don't want to say natural, but it's more of like a, he, he just knows how to hit the ball out of the ballpark. Alexander mm-hmm. Canario can hit the ball. If he, if he so chooses like 500 plus feet, every swing, like it's just, it's just outrageous <laughs> power. You know what I mean? And there's more swing and swing and miss with a guy like that, but uh, sure. just outrageous power for Canario. Cool. Who's got the prettiest swing? <laughs> oh, Okay. All right, so with this one, I've said for years that the most beautiful swing in the system is Cole Rotor. And I'm not saying that's not the case anymore because Cole Rotor is still in the system. He's still got a beautiful swing. But Moises Ballesteros has a really smooth swing, dude. Like, So so I'm saying my answer is Cole Rotor, but Moises Ballesteros is just like – the swing resembles like a, a little bit more fluid Miguel, uh, uh, not Miguel, uh, Miguel Montero, and okay. Miguel Montero had a pretty had a pretty swing. He I did. mean, like, picture that like the, yeah. the the home run against Joe Blanton, Blanton in the in the CS. Right. It's like that's a that's a fr- like that's a fr- fun swing where he just kind of his follow through is great. Those two guys, those those are numbers one one A and one B, Biasteros and, awesome. and Rotor. Who's got the best glove? 
I'll give an answer that is kind of like the, the best speed. So I think Luis Vasquez has the best glove in the in the farm system. He's a shortstop. He spent most of the season um, between Double A Tennessee and Triple A Iowa this past year. He's he's got the best glove in the system. The problem is he, he, he for the past however since he's been a, a Cubs prospect, he can't really hit all that much. And I've been okay. I've been waiting for like I, I I've been rooting for him just to hit like not even league average, just like just well enough. Because I want to see yeah. like his glove in the big leagues, just as like a defensive replacement or like like something, you know. Sure. Uh, but he's just got to hit like, like I said, not even league average, just like enough. Because the, the glove is just silky smooth over there at, at shortstop. As far as like more well known like top ish prospects, Luis Verdugo is really good over at third base, but PCA in center field is is incredible it's a different type of smooth glove obviously because you're in the outfield versus the infield but like he's gonna go out and get anything we've seen you don't see a whole lot of defensive highlights on twitter or on social media or on tv from minor leaguers because you typically you're focused on the on the the home the home road the, the hit the hitting in general because you can go back and look at the box score and say oh a guy hit a home run let me go find that video you, you can't see a diving play on the box score. So it's hard to go back and yeah. find the video, you know? Right. But for not seeing a whole lot of defensive plays on social media, you saw an awful lot of PCA roaming the outfield, <laughs> you know? Like, he just – he goes out and, and gets it. Same goes for Luis Verdugo. We saw a lot of highlights of Luis Verdugo over at third base. He's a, he's a shortstop by trade playing some third base. He's pretty he's pretty smooth over there. Cool. And for the last one, we'll, we'll go sort of the uh, – we may have just led into it, but the uh, – Sort of the Javi and Christopher Morel. Who, who's the best vibe guy in the system? Yeah, I think it's got to be PCA. I think PCA is the biggest vibe guy. I it was it was Christopher Morel. Like it was like I, yeah. I I tabbed the. How could it not be? He the, hugs everybody. Yeah, I, I tabbed the Christopher Morel experience for a reason. You know where it's like <laughs> he's just he's just out there always having a good time and and just he's just a vibe. I think PCA is that vibe now. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that 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 rivals. Pablo Aliendo is behind the plate. He's got that Wilson Contreras vibe a little bit, right? He's he's okay. he's he's real and and actually as far as catchers go, Pablo Aliendo and Ethan Hearn, both big vibe guys. Uh pitchers seem to love throwing to him. Uh he's out there fist bumping both these guys, Hearn and Aliendo, fist bumping. Aliendo seems to always find the camera. Uh it, it's some good stuff. <laughs> so I'll go I'll go the trio of PCA, Ethan Hearn, and Pablo Aliendo as far as the vibe guys in the system right now. Awesome. Um, well, Greg, it's been great having you on the show. We, I think we hit right about an hour. I really appreciate your time. Um, you want you want to plug your podcast one more time? Yeah, for sure. I appreciate it. I uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Out of the Vines. You can find the Cubs on Deck podcast. Like I said, we uh, have just released one episode. We're going to be over the off season. We will be releasing episodes every other week and then once the season rolls around we'll be in every week episode uh cubs on deck you can find on really any podcasting platform anywhere where you're listening to cubs ps plus you can find uh cubs on deck podcast i think we're not on amazon podcast yet but i'm i've been struggling with Nobody that a little bit amazon but, anyway yeah so uh besides that you can find us pretty much anywhere uh I'll, I'll do a lot of, you can find us on Instagram at Cubs on deck. Uh, we don't have a Twitter account. Just follow me at out of the vines for, to find all that good stuff, but really appreciate everybody tuning in and listening to that show. been trying to get it off the ground. I'm, I'm really, really confident and really happy in what that show is, is now and is going to become. So uh, Mike, I, can't, I really I can't, like that first episode. I, I appreciate it. I, I can't thank you enough for having me on here and, and letting me talk more Cubs prospects. Cause I, I, I love to do it. So anytime you need me on to, to talk about this topic, I'm, I'm all, I'm always game. Awesome. I'll definitely bring you back. Well, thank you. And uh, good luck on the good luck with the podcast. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I want to thank Greg again for giving us so much time. And I want to thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Greg as much as I did. If you liked what you heard, please take 10 seconds to drop a rating and a review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever it is that you find your podcasts. Just a few seconds will help me get better and help others find the show. As always, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CubsPSPlus. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!